Good morning. Let's all stand together. We're going to lift up our voices as we sing. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. He is exalted and in majesty. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing my great Redeemer's praise. The glories of my kind King, the triumphs of His grace. Jesus, the name that charms our fears, that bids our sorrows cease. Tis music in the sinner's ears, tis life and health and peace. He breaks the power of canceled sin, he sets the prisoners free. His blood can make the foulest clean, his blood availed for me. He is exalted, the King is exalted on high. I will praise Him, He is exalted forever, exalted, and I will praise His name. He is the Lord, forever His truth shall reign. Heaven and earth rejoice in His holy name. He is exalted, the King is exalted on Exalted on high, I will praise him. He is exalted forever, exalted, and I will praise his name. He is the Lord, forever his truth shall reign. Heaven and earth rejoice in his holy name. He is exalted. The King is exalted on high. Majesty, worship His majesty. Unto Jesus be all glory, honor, and praise. Majesty. Baptist Church. So glad to have you here to worship today. Let's open up with a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we come before you with humble hearts, praising you and thanking you for your many blessings in our lives. We rest in you. We trust in you, Lord. And we ask that it would be your spirit that moves in our midst this morning. Help us to dismiss from our minds the cares of this world and just 
allow you to minister to our souls today. Thank you, Lord, in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please be seated.
Jesus saves, Jesus saves, and the hush of mercy breathing, Jesus saves, Jesus saves, hear the host of angels sing, glory to the newborn King, and the sounding joy repeating, Jesus saves, see the humblest hearts adore Him, Jesus saves, Jesus saves. Jesus saves, Jesus saves, see the sky alive with praise, melting darkness in its blaze, there is life forevermore, and Jesus saves, he will live our sorrow sharing, Jesus saves, Jesus saves.
I know this truth remains that this is the day you made. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice as we lift his name. This is the day that the Lord has made. Come and rejoice. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Now I can walk in faith. You will protect my way. Your every work is good. And this is the day you made. I am a child of yours. The one who saves I am redeemed by love And this is the day you made This is the day That the Lord has made We will rejoice As we lift His name This is the day That the Lord has made Come and rejoice We will rejoice and be glad in is the day come and sing your praise for the Lord now reigns on the throne of grace soon is the day he will bring us home and we have this hope for we are his own this is the day come and sing your praise for the Lord now reigns on the throne of grace. Soon is the day He will bring us home. And we have this hope, for we are His own. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice as we lift His name. This is the day that the Lord has made. Come and rejoice, we will rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice as we lift His name. This is the day that the Lord has made. Come and rejoice. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Whether the sun will shine, whether the skies will rain, I know that you are good, and this is the day you made. to take your Bibles, if you would please, and turn with me to 1 Samuel in your Old Testament. 1 Samuel chapter, last part of chapter 13, going into chapter 14 is where we're going to go this morning. Title of my message this morning is The Inspiration of Great Courage. The Inspiration of Great Courage. You know, the Bible calls us to be of great courage. And we find throughout the scriptures, texts that reveal to us people throughout the Old Testament and New who tapped into the inner person, that great courage that only God could give them. 
This particular text deals with Jonathan, the son of King Saul, touches on King Saul as well, but it shows us how that Jonathan's courage, his great courage, as he rested in and trusted in God, inspired others to rise up and do that which the Lord had called them to do. But there had to be somebody. Jonathan was the one who said, here am I, Lord, so send me. He was the one. But maybe in your life, maybe in your neighborhood, your family, your school, your workplace, maybe you are that person who has the courage to face life, to thrive in the face of uh, pressure, stress, adversity. Maybe you're that person who has the courage to go ahead and stand up and let God live through you and thereby inspire and encourage others to find victory in life as well. There's so many people today who are depressed, discouraged, beat down. We need to help folks see that there is something better. You know, I, I want to kind of remind us sometimes it's not always productive to talk about the worst things. Have you ever noticed that? Uh, sometimes you, you show up to work and you go to the cooler and you go ahead and fill your cup and somebody else comes up. Next thing you're doing, you're talking about the very worst things in politics. You talk about the worst things in the workplace. And then you go back to your desk and you sit down and you think, oh man, is it bad? But could be the next day you go to the cooler and the person beside you, they come up, they fill their water, you fill yours, and they start telling you about what a beautiful birthday party they had for their kids and how they went to a wedding. They went to church and sang praises to God. And then you both go back to your seat and you think, oh, it's a pretty good day. That's how much influence we have on each other. It's true. And we're going to see that in this text. I'm going to start off with you in 1 Samuel chapter 13. I'm going to read to you verse 19 on down to verse 23. And that gives us a picture of what's taking place in the nation of Israel at this time. Listen to what transpires. Now there was no smith found throughout all the land of Israel. Now if you notice that's not capitalized. He's not saying that nobody in the land of Israel has the last name Smith. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about a blacksmith who would be a worker of metal. So he's saying there is no worker of metal throughout all the land of Israel. For the Philistines who had conquered the land, who had pillaged the land, and who was in control of all the people. The Philistines said, we don't want any smiths, blacksmiths in the land lest the Hebrews make them swords or spears. So the Philistines are saying, we're not going to allow anybody to be a blacksmith because they could turn the farm implements into spears and swords. But, verse 20, all the Israelites went down to the Philistines to sharpen every man his share, his culture, his axe, and his mattock. Now, you and I on a daily basis are not using the farm implements a culture, a mattox, or a share. Maybe you use an axe once in a while. But this was part of their lives. They had those tools that enabled them to work the ground, to work their livestock, to go ahead and make fire. So they would take their instruments down to the Philistines, get them sharpened there. But listen to verse 21. 
Yet, they had a file for the mattocks and for the cultures and the forks and for the axes and even to sharpen the goads. And the goads were a long, sharp stick with a metal tip that they would use to prod the oxen when they were plowing. He says they brought all their instruments of farming down to the Philistines to have them sharpen, although they really had the means to sharpen their own. They had files to sharpen their own, but they're making a point to the Philistines. They're letting them know, oh yes, we are coming down and having our farm tools sharpened here. We're not building swords. We're not building spears. They're making a point. Let's go down a little bit farther in the text. Verse 22. So it came to pass in the day of battle that there was neither sword nor spear found in the hand of any of the people that were with Saul or his son Jonathan. But with Saul and with Jonathan, his son was there found. He's saying, yes, Jonathan and Saul, they each had a sword or a spear. They're the king and the king's son. Verse 23, and the garrison of the Philistines went out to the passage of Michmash. So what happens is, now the Philistines are getting ready to come back into the land of Israel. They have controlled it, but they're feeling like they need to come in. Maybe they need to re-pillage. Maybe it's the time of harvest and they want to take the grain. Maybe it's time to gather more slaves, to take more children from the homes. That's what took place back then. So the Philistines come down and they encamp in Michmash. Not good. It means that at any time, the Philistines are going to come as marauders through the land of Israel. Listen to verse 1 of chapter 14. Now it came to pass upon a day that Jonathan, the son of Saul, said unto the young man that bare his armor, Come, let us go over to the Philistines' garrison that is on the other side, but he told not his father. And Saul tarried in the uttermost part of Gilbeah, under a pomegranate tree, which is in Migron. And the people that were with him were about 600 men. So Saul, the king, he's sitting under a pomegranate tree, shading himself, kicked back. He's got 600 soldiers with him, but he's in no hurry to go against the army of the Philistines. His soldiers have what? Axes, and they've got goads, and they've got all the instruments of farming, but they don't have spears or swords. And so Saul is holding back. He's hoping the Philistines are not going to attack. He's just kind of resting on his laurels. But Jonathan, he says to his armor bearer, come on, let's go. We're not going to wait for them to attack us. Let's go down and check out what's taking place. Listen to what takes place. Verse 3. And Ahiah, the son of Ahitub, Ichabod's brother, the son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh, wearing an ephod, and the people knew not that Jonathan was gone. So the religious leaders, they're doing their own thing. Saul's doing his own thing. But Jonathan has now gone to the encampment of the Philistines. And between the passages by which Jonathan sought to go over unto the Philistines' garrison, there was a sharp rock on the one side and a sharp rock on the other side. And the name of the one was Boses, and the name of the other was Sinan. 
The forefront of the one was situated northward over against Michmash and the other southward over against Gibeah. Boy, he's drawing us a picture, isn't he? He's telling us that he's coming up, he's sneaking up. There's the Philistines garrison. There is a rock outcropping on the north side and the south side. So he's going to go ahead and hide behind the side that is away from the garrison. And Jonathan said to the young man that bear his armor, Come, let us go over unto the garrison and let us uh, of these uncircumcised, the Philistines. It may be that the Lord will work for us. For there is no restraint to the Lord to say by many or by few. So Jonathan tells his armor bearer, we're going to go and we're going to see how this unfolds. Maybe God is going to be on our side because you know what? Whether we are many or whether we are few, if God's on our side, we've got it made. Verse seven, and his armor bearer said unto him, do all that is in thine heart, turn thee, behold, I am with thee according to thy heart. So we have Jonathan, a man of great courage and leadership and his armor bearer who says, I'm going to follow you no matter what, I'm there with you. Then said Jonathan in verse eight, behold, we will pass over unto these men and, and we will discover ourselves unto them. We're going to reveal ourselves to these people. And they said to, and they say thus unto us, if they say thus unto us, tarry until we come to you, then we will stand in our place and will not go up unto them. But if they say, come unto us, then we will go up for the Lord hath delivered them into our hand. And this shall be a sign unto us. So Jonathan tells his armor bearer, we're going to stand up and reveal ourselves to this garrison. And if they say, wait there, we're going to come to you, we'll wait. But if they say, come to us, then that's a sign to us that we're going to go and take them. These two men. Verse 11. And both of them discovered themselves under the garrison of the Philistines. They revealed themselves. And the Philistines said, behold, the Hebrews come forth out of the holes where they have hid themselves. And the men of the garrison answered Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, come, come up to us and we will show you a thing. And Jonathan said unto his armor bearer, come up after me, for the Lord hath delivered them into the hand of Israel. And Jonathan climbed up upon his hands and upon his feet and his armor bearer after him. And they fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer slew after him. And that first slaughter, which Jonathan and armor bearer made, was about 20 men within, as it were, a half acre of land, which a yoke of oxen might plow. So as they revealed themselves, Jonathan and his armor bearer, they said, come, and they came. Now, it's interesting when you look at the text, the Philistines said, come, and we're going to show you a thing. See, the Philistines are thinking they're going to whip these boys. They're going to show them a thing. But Jonathan knew in his heart, God was going to empower him. So Jonathan mustered up the courage that was deep in his soul. His armor bearer as well mustered up his courage. And they went and they slew 20 Philistines in a half acre part. And for all you farmers, it says that's about how much an oxen could plow in a day. 
Now think about it when you get out there with your big John Deere tractor and all your harrows and plows and you go out a half acre in a day would they plow back then. That's a lot of work. Why am I showing you this text? Because in each of our lives, sometimes we can feel like we are pressed down, enclosed, defeated before we even face the day. That's how Saul was. Saul had his whole army in the background. They're all sitting around. He's under the pomegranate tree. They're already defeated. But not Jonathan. He gets up that morning and he thinks to himself, you know what? My God is able. He is able to face this day and to give us victory. Grabs his armor bearer and they go ahead and they confront the enemy rather than wait for the enemy to come to them. In you and my life, if we are always the victim, if we always wait for it to, ha it to happen to us, if we always are looking around at the most negative, the most defeated, we will live that neg negative, defeated life. That's why Saul was such a horrible king. But Jonathan was a young man of great courage who stood up. First thing I want you to see is that Jonathan recognized those who were productive, and he said, join arms with me. Look at verse 7 again in our text there of chapter 14. And his, uh, and his armor bearer said unto him, do all that is in thine heart, turn thee, behold, I am with thee according to thy heart. Jonathan reached out to his armor bearer because he knew his armor bearer was also a man of courage. A man of faith, a doer of that which the Lord has for them and him. You and I in our lives, we need to learn who to partner with. It's wise for us to examine our most inner circle in our lives and ask ourselves, are these people pulling me down or are these people lifting me up? Are these people that are helping me to live a victorious life? Or are they people who are helping me to be defeated? You notice that he didn't go to King Saul. Why? Because King Saul is kicked back sitting under the pomegranate tree. He knew Saul's going to say, oh boy, Jonathan, come on, we can't do it. And there are always those who will discourage and beat down and pull down. But you have to recognize in your life, who are the ones that are going to go ahead and face life and find victory in life? And that's what Jonathan did. Those who had proven themselves faithful, that was the kind of armor bearer he had. Those who would get the job done, that's the kind of armor bearer he had. Those who are ready to take the next step instead of step back, that's the kind of armor bearer he had. As we come down to a couple other verses, we find that Jonathan motivated the paralyzed. Those who were stricken to not move, not physically, but their courage was gone. Look at verse two with me in chapter 14. And Saul tarried in the uttermost part of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree, which is in Migron. And the people that were with him were about 600 men. 600 men. That's a lot of guys. 
That's a lot of men to be sitting on the side while the enemy is gathering at the border. But Jonathan is going to motivate them too. In fact, look with me at verse 20 in chapter 14. Listen to what he says. And Saul and all the people that were with him assembled themselves and they came to the battle. And behold, every man's sword was against his fellow and there was a very great discomfort. What this text is saying is when all these 600 who were with Saul heard about Jonathan and his armor bearer in this fight, they got up, they gathered themselves together and they came in upon the Philistines. And it caused such chaos among the Philistines that the Philistines were even killing each other. So you see here that Jonathan inspired those who had started to look at everything as already over, defeated. You and I, we like Jonathan need to understand that God is able. He is able to give us victory in our lives. He is able to empower us. He is able to light our way and light our path that we might go ahead and find victory in our lives. We can't just sit back under the mulberry tree and wait for death to come our way. Jonathan motivated those who also were paralyzed with fear. When we come down to verse 21 in the text, it's really interesting what it says because we find that Jonathan even prodded along those who were prodigals. Now, a prodigal, if you'll remember in the New Testament, there's the teaching about the prodigal son. That prodigal son was somebody who had fallen by the wayside. He had no longer been walking in fellowship with his father. He had gone ahead and pursued other things and he'd fallen by the way. Listen to verse 21 in 1 Samuel chapter 14. Moreover, the Hebrews that were with the Philistines before that time, which went up with them to the camp from the country round about, even they also turned to be with the Israelites that were with Saul and Jonathan at this point in the battle. So all the traitors, all the people who had joined arms with the Philistines against their own people, all of a sudden had a change of heart. They decided, what are we doing? What are we doing joining our hands with the enemy? What are we doing forsaking our fellow brothers and sisters and fighting against them? Rather, uh, joining ourselves over here with the Philistines, the enemy. Let's fight back with our people. You and I as Christians, we, we are surrounded with those who maybe would deny our faith, mock our faith, ridicule our faith. And if you're not careful, it's easy to join them. It's easy to step back and say, well, yeah, oh, you know what? I know that they, there's some hypocrites in that church. That's easy to say. Because you know what? Do you know what a church is made up of? Sinners saved by grace. So does that mean that everybody in these pews or even on this platform is perfect? No. But I do toss out to you, Sandy and I go to the grocery store, there's hypocrites there too. 
We go to the bank. There's hypocrites there too. Your kids go to school. There's hypocrites there too. In fact, I bet sometime in your life, you'll go to the hospital. There's hypocrites there too. So just because there are some people who are not genuine, are you going to not go to the hospital, the bank, the grocery store, school? Of course you're going to go. It's an excuse when we go ahead and we look around and we say, well, this person's not good enough. That person's not good enough. So therefore, I'm not going to go. That's ridiculous, isn't it? That's ridiculous. This here the other week, we did youth camp and they had three stages for swimming. They had the non swimmers and you had to wear a bracelet of a certain color. I can't remember. Red. Non swimmers is red. Then they had, what was it, yellow? Blue. What are the colors, Kim? Red, blue, gold. Red, blue, gold. So you got non-swimmers, red. Then you could swim a little bit, blue. Gold, you could head out. So would you come up to the beach and say, what in the world? They got non-swimmers here. I'm not gonna swim if they're gonna have non-swimmers here. No, you're going, to pa you're going to swim past the non-swimmers. You're going to go out to where it's blue and maybe even hit gold. Well, it's the same thing with worship. It's the same thing with Christian church family. You know what? You don't look at those who are struggling to swim and say, well, I'm not going to go in the pool with them. No, actually, you help them learn to get the blue. Maybe you can all work together to get gold. But you all grow together. And that's exactly what happened here. They had prodigals. They had people who had stepped out of the fellowship of Israel. They'd gone to the Philistines. And Jonathan inspired them to come back. Why? Because of his courage. Because of his determination. Because of him allowing God to help him to grow and be strong. You and I in our Christian walk. It's easy to sit under the mulberry bush. It's easy. But we have to get up. We got to do like Jonathan. We have to do like Jonathan's armor bearer. We've got to get out there and fight the good fight of faith. When you come down to verse 22 in our text of 1 Samuel chapter 14, you find that Jonathan even provoked the pansies, the panty wastes. The, the people who had zero courage in their life. They're not fighting on the other team. They're not with Saul under the mulberry bush. These are folks who just stayed home. Look at what he says as we come down to verse 22. He says to us, And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight. I'm in the wrong chapter. One page too many. Let's go back to our verse 22. Chapter 14. Likewise, all the men of Israel, which had hid themselves in the Mount Ephraim, when they heard that the Philistines fled, even they also followed hard after them in the battle. Even those who were in hiding came out and joined the fight. What's my point? My point is that each and every one of us as Christians, 
We have to have courage to rise up. We've got to live our faith. Now, maybe there's a, there are those around us who have already given up, but you might inspire them to get up and fight on. Maybe you know folks who have quit and joined the other side. Your courage, your inspiration, your walk with God might inspire them to come on back and join the team. And you might know people who they're just afraid. They don't even want to think about eternal life. They don't want to think about God. They don't want to think about their sin and their need to repent and get back on track and do what's right. They don't even want to talk about it. They don't even want to hear it. They're the people that are hiding in the woods. They're the people who are trying to deny reality. The reality is every single one of us stand before a living God. And the reality is it is appointed unto man once to die and after that the judgment. And there is not one of us that will escape that. How many of you know somebody 150 years old? None of us. Not even one. You see, that is proof of reality. Reality is that every one of us one day will stand before God. Whether we're a granddad or a dad, a child or a newborn. Somewhere in time, there's an appointed time when we'll stand before God. Every one of us needs to have the courage to face reality. The reality is... God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And that son was Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for your sins and mine. You might say, well, my high school teacher says that's a bunch of baloney. Your high school teacher doesn't know world history. Because world history says Jesus Christ lived, died, and the history says he rose and created such a stir... That it's written in secular history. So when they say it's just a myth, a story, a fable, it's because they don't know world history. There's a reason why Christianity turned the world upside down. Because at the time, it was earth shattering. It was life changing for Jesus Christ to be crucified, buried, and raised again. You and I have to be courageous to face reality, to say, yes, there is a living God who loved me so much. He died on the cross for me. And I myself must turn from my sin and receive him as my savior. And come on, come on around me. Come on, you that are afraid. You that have turned to the enemy. You that are already defeated sitting under the mulberry tree. Come on. Let's live for God. Let's honor him. Because one day, we will stand before him. Jonathan has taught us to be courageous. Going to close this in a word of prayer, but I think John has one verse of song. As we're getting ready to depart. But let's have a word of prayer. Lord, I pray that you be with us as we depart. Help us to go forth with the courage of a soldier of Christ. Ready to face life as you light the way. Help us to be people who genuinely walk with you day by day. In Christ's name we pray.
Amen. My Jesus, my Savior, Lord, there is none like you. All of my days I want to praise the wonders of your mighty love. My comfort, my shelter, tower of refuge and strength. Let every breath and all that I am never cease to dismissed this morning.